Feeding the monkey is the way we refer to those random ADHD thoughts that take over your mind when you're supposed to be paying attention to something important. Hello and welcome to Feeding the Monkey, episode 10. I know I said that last week was episode 8, but it was episode 9. This is episode 10. This is the final ruling. The umps will no longer be considering any challenges to the call. So, last week, we looked at why is it illegal to eat watermelon in Rio Claro, Brazil. And the reason for that was a mistaken belief that it carried yellow fever. Um, While we were in the process of looking at that, we discovered several other unusual foreign laws. Uh, One of them was in Greece, where it's illegal for women to wear stilettos at ancient sites. I had speculated that I thought maybe that was being uh, done because of damage done to monuments from these, you know, these hard, spiky shoes. And yes, that is actually why the dam- the monuments are getting damaged. So if you're doing a tour of Greece and you're looking at the ancient monuments, just leave your stilettos at home. They're not going to let you wear them. Also, I wondered about Cromwell's mince pie law because in an unusual twist, even though mince pies are a very traditional British meal to have for Christmas, according to Cromwell's law, they were uh, forbidden to be eaten on Christmas Day. And the reason for that is that this is, according to a legend, it was created to prevent gluttony on a day when you were supposed to be being all holy. And just in case you're interested, that is no longer the case. King Charles overturned Cromwell's mince pie law along with a few other laws when he took over the throne. And I don't know what year that was. I'll look that up. And guess what? I'll tell you next week. So anyway, on to this week, episode 10. This week, Daniel... Listener Daniel would like to know, why is there so much stuff called milk that's not milk? So much stuff. Because uh, obviously milk only comes from mammals. But we call a lot of other things milk too. Like we call the stuff inside dandelion stems, we call that uh, milk. And that is not delicious, by the way, if you've ever tried it. Some people like it, and that is not delicious. That is anti-delicious. That's like the opposite of delicious. Although not as anti-delicious as something I'm going to tell you about at the very, very end of this episode. So you're going to want to stay tuned to find out what is, in fact, the least delicious item ever existed. I promise you, I, I would not put hyperbole. I know this to be very true. So, nut milk, and by extension, of course, bean milk, because soybeans, obviously, are not nuts. Um, Rice is not a nut. Rice isn't a bean, either. Rice is a grain, so we'll call that one a grain milk. Uh, I'm making air quotes here. You can't see them. I'm making air quotes. Bean milk with air air quotes. Um, So, nut milk, of course, isn't milk. It's some kind of mash. 
like water or uh, with water, so nuts and water or soybean mash and water. It's it's nuts, water, and a little bit of flavor. Um, before we talk about why it is that so much stuff is called milk that's not milk, um, I thought that we could look at what the various uh, properties are of some of the things we eat as milk that are not disgusting. Um, so, for instance, soy milk, probably the best known. And I've actually made soy milk myself uh, uh, Previously, I had a little soy milk machine. The way soy milk is made is you shuck the, you, you shell the little beans, which they just pop right out of their shells when they've been swelled up a little bit in water overnight, and then you put them into the machine, and the machine heats it up, and you know with water, and the machine heats it up, and it spins it around, and then you filter it out, and that's where the soy milk is from. Soy milk is very high in protein and has no saturated fat, which makes it pretty nutritious. Almond milk, which is of course similar, almond milk is very high in calcium, and most notably is the most like cow milk in flavor and texture. So if you're looking for a glass of something, if you want to be drinking one of these nut milks out of a glass, soy milk is okay, but it tends to have a soybean taste to it, whereas almond milk, uh, being more like cow milk in flavor and texture, is a lot more palatable, especially if it's one of the flavored kind, but you want to stick away, you want to make sure that you stick to the unsweetened flavored kind because there's also sweet and flavored kinds. Rice milk is the least nutritious, but it is the sweetest. So if you were looking for something to lighten your coffee, for instance, your um, uh, rice milk would be a good way to go there with that. Coconut milk is the lowest in calories and it's the highest in saturated fat. Coconut milk isn't the, you know, when you, when you pour the, when you when you drill a hole in the coconut and then you dump the water out, that's not coconut milk. I mean, they might call it coconut milk, but that's not what coconut milk is. Coconut milk is obviously the flesh of the coconut that has been that has been converted into this milk. Cashew milk has a good texture, much like almond milk, but it's low in calcium and vitamins. That means that if you are, you know, a choice between almond milk and cashew milk, you're probably going to go with the almond milk just because it's got um, a little more nutritious value. So, uh, the big reveal, what we've been coming up to, why are all these things called milk? The answer is, of course, all these drinks are whitish, and they have about the same consistency as milk, so it's an easy thing to call them. Calling it nut juice would be a little closer to accurate, but it would imply a clearer liquid with much less viscosity. So there you go. It's called milk, Daniel, because it looks like milk. Time. I know what you're thinking. What did that have to do with anything? Tiny Bubbles, of course, by Don Ho. Um, uh, yeah. So, 
why? Well, I, I sometimes I'm I'm not the most coordinated of human beings, and sometimes I have been known to slim to make slips in the kitchen. I did that recently, and when I went to clean it out, you know, you go and you get the hydrogen peroxide like you do, and and I noticed though that while I was putting on the 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 band-aid I noticed that the hydrogen peroxide was also fizzing in the drain and I thought that was a little I thought that was a little strange what it was doing in there so I decided to go look it out look it up rather and as an aside there's a YouTube channel by a guy who pours molten copper into things he's got a whole channel where he melts copper and pours it into things um, uh, I saw him, he, he drilled out a coconut. We were talking about coconut milk. He drilled out a, a coconut and then he poured molten lead and yeah. Okay. So anyway, if you're interested, I don't know the guy's name. Just Google guy who pours molten copper into things. And I guarantee you, you will find him. I watched him for about half an hour. So what I realized was before we could decide what hydrogen peroxide was doing, we needed to first know what is the difference between a disinfectant and an antiseptic. So when you put it on your finger because you have a cut, what you're doing is you're using it as an antiseptic. An antiseptic is a chemical agent applied to living tissue to prevent infection. If uh, you if if you are using something like another chemical agent, of course, if you're using it to disinfect inanimate objects and surfaces, that's a disinfectant. So a disinfectant is a chemical agent used to disinfect anim- inanimate objects and surfaces. Examples of disinfectants include iodine. You know, like your barbers have their combs and things and, and scissors in the iodine. Copper sulfate ozone, and of course everyone's favorite, chlorine gas. And I'm not sure at what point, you know, we're going to be using chlorine gas to disinfect something, but it should you find yourself with chlorine gas, go, oh, well this would be excellent for disinfecting my kitchen counters. I don't know what you're going to do with chlorine. I don't even know where you get chlorine gas. I guess I'm now going to have to look that up. I think that might be what happens if you mix ammonia and bleach. I think you may end up with a cloud of chlorine gas. I'm not sure, though. I'm going to look that one up. I'll get that to you next week. So what we have to know first in order to understand what we are looking at is that catalase is an enzyme found in blood and cells. And in an interesting twist of fate, when hydrogen peroxide comes into contact with catalase, it converts into water and oxygen. That's because hydrogen peroxide's formula is H2O3. And so when it converts into water and oxygen, what you end up with is a... Is a uh, an oxygen molecule escaping all by itself. And that's what the bubbles are. That's what those little white bubbles are. That's the oxygen escaping. The liquid is water. So in the first place, hydrogen peroxide sold for first aid use is about 97% water already. And when hydrogen peroxide comes into contact with with 
any living cell. Pour it on a potato, and it will do that. Uh, it will bubble like that. That's what the bubbles are. So hydrogen peroxide, sold for first aid use, about 97% water already. It's a 3% solution. It is very effective as a disinfectant on hard surfaces. So a lot of the time you will see it used like in hospitals to disinfect small counters. Um, I mean, small areas of counters. I don't Maybe small counters as well, but definitely small areas of counters. You'll find it being used to disinfect the ends of those old-fashioned thermometers, which you had to stick under your tongue. I don't even think that hospitals use those anymore, but if they do and they're in something, it's most likely hydrogen peroxide. Uh, it's good for cleaning sinks, etc. It's also good for disinfecting hard surfaces. Uh, I mean, excuse me, hard contact lenses, because that's a hard surface. And there is actually a brand of, of um, there is a brand of contact cleaning solution that, that involves you pouring a small amount of hydrogen peroxide into a catalytic con- a container with a catalyst, a catalytic container. And the bubbles from the hydrogen peroxide will, you know, scrub, they they physically scrub your lenses, as well as the disinfecting effect of the hydrogen peroxide. So, animal and, and human studies have shown hydrogen peroxide has no negative effect on wound healing. This was something that I had heard at one point was a suggestion that perhaps um, hydrogen peroxide put on a healing wound was actually going to retard the healing because it was going to aggravate the end, the, uh, the you know, the edges, the torn edges of the cut. Uh, animal and human studies, as far as I found, have shown that not to be true. But the money shot in a clinical study evaluating the effectiveness of hydrogen peroxide, it was found... Um, What they did first was they tested it, um, reducing the infection rate of appendectomy wounds. Uh, No toxic effects were found, but it was found to be ineffective. Similarly, in another clinical study in human blister wounds contaminated with Staphylococcus aureus, hydrogen peroxide was found to not retard healing, but neither to increase decrease bacterial load. So, summation. It doesn't hurt, but it doesn't help. It kind of does nothing. There is one caveat, however. If you use it right away, for instance, as I was describing, you know, before you put on your first Band-Aid when you have first injured yourself, it does flush the wound with water and engages in a little manual scrubbing, just like we were talking about with the contact lenses. So... It is, in fact, good at initially cleaning out the wound. It just is not good as an antiseptic afterwards. There's no point really in flushing it again with hydrogen peroxide. When you go to change your Band-Aid, it doesn't work that way. So there you go. There is the truth about hydrogen peroxide.
And now, at long last, what you have been waiting for since the beginning of the sh- of the show, with your with your with your fingers all crinkled up together, just all anxiously awaiting. You probably actually forgot that I promised to tell you this. What is more disgusting than dandelion milk? I have something that is so disgusting. This is so disgusting that I actually witnessed my own husband attempt to clean his tongue with a napkin after taking a bite of this. It is so disgusting that I saw Dr. Ross spit it out on national television. That horror is natto. Natto is a Japanese thing. It's fermented soybeans. Described in Wikipedia as having a distinctive smell, somewhat akin to a pungent cheese. Uh, stirring natto produces lots of sticky strings, um, as my husband put it when I when we were enjoying natto in Japan. That he probably should have realized not to put it in his mouth when he noticed that it was made out of boogers. It looks exactly like that. It it looks exactly like that. It is pretty much the nastiest thing you can possibly imagine. If the monkey gets 500 listens, I will post a video of myself eating natto. That's right. If you get this podcast spread around, I'm really trying to build the podcast. I'm trying to build a good listenership. I think we have a quality product here, and and I think that your friends would also enjoy learning about these unusual things. So if the monkey gets 500 listens, I will post a video of me eating natto. This is something that I assure you, you want to see. As always, we thank you for listening to Feeding the Monkey. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can write to us at monkey at feedingthemonkey.com or go to our webpage on face excuse me, our page on Facebook. Feeding the Monkey. You'll find us there on Facebook. Also, uh, we do have a website, feedingthemonkey.com. That's where you'll find show notes. Next week, we are going to look at the incredibly important issues of are all primates omnivores? And how do we learn to move our arms and legs? Thank you again for listening. I can't say it enough. And as always, I'm going to leave you with some upbeat outro music. 